Welcome back to Just One Question. And I am particularly excited today to welcome a fellow practitioner to the uh, um, to the show. Uh, Akash Karya is an introvert who makes his living as a keynote speaker, something one would imagine is a highly extroverted profession. But he has spoken 15 countries, four continents, from audiences ranging from five people to 7,000 people. He's written 12 books on the subject of communications, influence, self-leadership, well-being, selling more than, wait for this, all of you authors out there, 250,000 copies together. So uh, Akash knows something about communications, and we're hoping to unpack a little bit of that today. Uh, but first of all, Akash, welcome. How are, how are you doing today? Excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me on the show, Nick. It's a great pleasure. And uh, let's let's dive right in. So um, you're, uh, as we were talking before, before we hit record, um, you give a you gave before even the pandemic, when everybody switched to the virtual, you gave virtual speeches. Uh, and so you've had long experience with the uh, with the virtual world, with uh, uh, with uh, communicating in that in that sphere, um, tell us a little bit about that experience. What what's that been like for you? Why did you start uh, doing it, and uh, how has it gone? I love communicating virtually, um, and I started doing this three or four years prior to the pandemic. And the reason that I started doing this was out of necessity. So as a keynote speaker, I make my living by giving keynote speeches. And one of the things that I realized is that it's much easier to sell to existing clients than it is to get a new client. Uh. And so my strategy was, how do I sell more of my services to existing clients? Because we can't always meet in person. Mm -hmm. And so I started giving add-ons that were virtual masterclasses on top of the keynotes that I did. And what this would look like is a client would hire me for a keynote to 500 or 1,000 people in person. Mm -hmm. And then they would book me for three or four in-depth masterclasses that I did virtually. And doing this, I really began to enjoy the virtual format. I love speaking virtually because, number one, I get access to a bigger audience. Mm -hmm. The biggest audience that I've had is 7,000 people. 7,000 people, that's an entire stadium. Can you imagine doing that in person and how mm -hmm. difficult that would be? And I know when we communicate virtually, we think, oh, we have 50 people or 100 people. But those are actual people on the other end of the line. The other thing that I really enjoy about virtual communication is we can leverage technology to get instant feedback from the audience mm -hmm. and feedback that we don't always get in person. I'll give you an example. Mm. I did a uh, leadership keynote that was virtual for this large corporation. And in that keynote, I had a poll that I got the audience members to vote on anonymously, which said, how many of you are afraid of speaking out against your leaders, even if you know that they're making a mistake? Now, that's a very sensitive question. Mm -hmm. And yet we got back data that said about 40% of them didn't have psychological safety. And with questions like those, I was able to show the organizers that there was real value in what we were discussing and why we needed to take action around building psychological safety. So virtual keynotes for me, virtual presentations, 
they don't replace in-person presentations, mm -hmm. but I think they're a very valuable add-on uh, for connecting with people and getting instant feedback. Yeah, I love that because uh, uh, right away you seize on one of the benefits of the of the virtual. Had you asked that question, how many of you feel uh, safe with your with your bosses in person? You, you, not a single hand, uh, or how many of you don't feel safe? Not a single hand would have gone up. Nobody would have been willing to confess to that with their potentially their bosses or their even their colleagues around them. So um, I can't resist one follow up question. Um, what what else have you learned? Uh, because you have now, as we've established, long experience with the virtual well before everybody else joined the bandwagon because they were forced to. Um, what else have you learned about successful communication presenting uh, uh, virtually? What is it you have to do that's different uh, from in-person? That's an interesting question. Mm. Um, I don't think that you need to do anything differently. Mm. Um, I think what you need to do is do more uh, and do it better. Mm. There's two specific things. Okay. So the first one is around engaging the audience. Now, for a certain period, I tried to grow my online, my business using online webinars. We would have lots of people that would join these webinars. We'd offer them content for free. And then I would try and uh, get them into my paid membership program. Mm -hmm. I spent 15,000 US dollars getting people to join these webinars by running ads. I lost 7,000 US dollars the first time that I did this. <laughs> and what I was doing was I was trying to give a lot of information to the audience to show them that I was an expert. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, I was overwhelming the audience with information. So I decided to set my ego aside as a public speaking expert and go and look at what do I need to do differently in order to make sales online. And the one thing that I learned was from a man called Russell Bronson. And he said, ask more questions. He said, the, when you're presenting in a virtual setting, you want to always keep engaging the audience. And you're asking questions either to have them type in the chat mm -hmm. or you're asking questions that are rhetorical, but it makes it feel like they're having a conversation with you. Yes. Because when you think about it, the, the element of being on a screen is very much like you're watching someone on TV and you're having an intimate, you're in an intimate environment. You are in your home. And therefore, you're not expecting to have this large public speaker that's roaming around. No, you're expecting a conversation. Mm -hmm. And when you have a conversation, it's two-way. So I started asking a lot more questions. Uh, why do we do this? Mm. Why do we need this? How do we solve this? Mm. It created what I call a knowledge gap. What's a knowledge gap? A knowledge gap is a gap between what the audience knows and what they don't know. And every time you ask a question, you create this gap. And this gap is what we have for curiosity. It's what we call engagement. And once you've created this gap, you can now feed in the information. Mm. The moment I started asking more questions in my webinars, my conversion rates and my sales shot through the roof. Mm. I went from losing $7,000 to making $7,000 and above every single time I did those webinars. The second thing, there's two, two research studies that I'd like to share with you. Yes. Uh, the first one comes from Cornell University. 
at Cornell University, there's a professor by the name of Stephen Cece. And Stephen Cece has been teaching the exact same course for 20 years. Exact same course, Nick, for 20 long years. But in semester number two, one day he decides to do one key thing differently. He decides to be a bit more. Can you guess? Interactive. Interactive. Very good, but very wrong. Oh. Decides to be a bit more energetic. Oh. A bit more energetic. That's it. That means he's going to use his voice uh, with more passion, more volume, more vocal variety, his hand gestures, consciously decides to be more energetic. At the end of the semesters, uh, you have in the US fall and spring, we call them semester number one and semester number two. At the end of both semesters, the students are given a questionnaire. Question number one, how enthusiastic was the professor? In which semester was he rated as being more enthusiastic? Semester number one or semester number two, where he made a conscious decision to be more enthusiastic? Okay. Two. Makes sense, right? Because he made a conscious decision to be more enthusiastic. Sure. Now, here's the more interesting question, Nick. How knowledgeable is the professor? Mm. How knowledgeable do you consider this professor to be on this given topic? Uh, Should between... there be a difference? Yes. Between semester one and semester two. Between semester one and semester two. So he taught the uh, same things, but he was more energetic the second time. How does that exactly. affect your perception of his of his expertise? His expertise. Yes. Uh, yeah. Should there be a difference? Yeah. Um, well, theoretically, or, or uh, in the abstract, no, there shouldn't be a difference. One is just uh, selling it better, but it's the same content but i'm guessing your answer is that there was a difference so akash please tell us we are dying to know now you created that knowledge gap you've got to rush to fill it for us um you're right um there shouldn't be a difference because knowledge is what you know it's the facts the data the expertise that didn't change between the two semesters mm -hmm. but it turned out in semester number two where all the professor did was be a bit more enthusiastic Mm -hmm. The students said they learned more. They said he was more intelligent. They said the course was better organized. They even said the quality of the textbook, the quality of the textbook, which was the exact same textbook in both semesters was significantly better in the second semester. Mm. So here's my first takeaway for you. Mm. You want to seem a lot more intelligent without actually being more intelligent. Mm -hmm. Just be more enthusiastic. Wonderful. Uh, the second research study that sort of backs this up. Mm -hmm. There's a professor at MIT called Alex Pentland. Mm -hmm. And Alex Pentland has created this device called a sociometer. Think of it like a Fitbit, except it measures your charisma. Mm -hmm. Now, as part of an experiment, Alex Pentland and his researchers uh, get a group of business school students to wear this uh, sociometer. Mm -hmm. And they track behind the scenes the energy levels with which these individuals generally communicate in a networking setting. Mm -hmm. In other words, when these individuals speak, the sociometer is tracking what is the vocal variety? Do they have energy in how they speak? Now, later down the line, the business school students are asked to prepare a business plan as part of a business plan competition. Mm -hmm. And the group of students that are giving the business plan will then evaluate as a group who had the best business plan. In other words, whose idea was the best? 
Now, how do you judge the best idea for a business plan? You look at the facts, the data, the statistics, the market size, the graph, all of those things. Nope. Turns out behind the scenes, the professors were able to predict who would win the business plan competition without knowing anything about the business plan or knowing anything about the person. The professors were able to predict who would win the business plan competition without knowing anything about the business plan or knowing anything about the person. How? They looked at the energy level of the person who was speaking. Mm -hmm. And you talk about this uh, in your books, Nick, Mm -hmm. that there's two layers of language. First is what you say. Mm -hmm. And second is the body language. It's the conviction with which you express things. And we don't pay attention to the second layer. And I think when it comes to virtual communication, it becomes more important to be aware of what is my energy level and how do I get my energy level to a point where I would engage the audience, portray my confidence and my authority in what I'm saying. Mm. Final thing, Mm. a very quick technique that I'll give you. Okay. How do you do this, right? Akash, you've taught me all of this stuff. Like, how do I apply this? Mm-hmm. One way to do this is what I call match and mirror the audience. It's very easy if you're in, a, in an in-person setting. Mm-hmm. If you walk into a room, it's 50 people. The energy in that room is very different than if you walk into a room with 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is you want to match the energy of the audience. Where are they? Are they very excited as everyone come back and they're excited to see uh, see Nick Morgan give a presentation? Mm. Or are they a bunch of CEOs in suits, sitting up straight, come back from lunch? Mm. So you want to match the energy of the audience and then plus one. Yes. And I like to ask myself, zero to 10, what is the energy of the audience? Start there for what I think my energy should be Mm. and then build up plus one and plus two. And that is the appropriate level of energy at which you should be speaking. When you do this virtually, look at the number of participants, look at the time, and generally with the interactions that you've had, what is the appropriate level of energy for this group? And then plus one or plus two. Mm, I love that. Um, There's a lot of of presenting wisdom in that, uh, a lot of communications wisdom in that. So thank you very much for that. And of course, Alex Pentland is an old friend of Public Words and Just One Question. Um, We love him dearly. And his book, Honest Signals, is is highly recommended uh, uh, to all, but his work in general. Um, And uh, yes, that uh, the study of, uh, of how to make a successful pitch that research is something that I've I've used with um, a number of startup companies, and they're always appalled to discover that that's the case <laughs> because they put so much work into the spreadsheets and the financial analysis and 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 the discussion of the expertise of the team, and they think all that matters. And when you tell them, oh, "Sorry, it really is much more about how you show up in the room," um, they're shocked and and often really resistant to that idea so uh yeah really important concept to get across that um that you still need to do those things let's let's be clear here you still need to to do the work to have the financial analysis or the intellect the content but if you don't show up with the right energy level or better energy level than anybody else that you're in competition with then you won't succeed so um, wise words indeed 
Akash Karia, thank you so much for being on Just One Question. We could talk for hours uh, as uh, fellow practitioners in these in these endlessly fascinating arts of communications. Um, but um, I've already asked you two or maybe three questions. So uh, thank you for being on Just One Question, <laughs> and uh, and uh, keep up the keep up the good work. It's a great pleasure to be able to connect with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I would like to leave the audience with one takeaway, one exercise that has completely changed my life. Absolutely. I am an introvert. Um, I do not find this speaking right now to be particularly comfortable. Mm. I am not the best speaker in the world, and I don't try and convince other people to be the best speakers in the world. I believe in being effective mm. and being 5, 10, 20% better than when you first started. And there's one exercise that I think is underrated for improving your speaking. And that is this. Read out loud one page every day. Every day, read one page out loud. And every time you read a new page, practice one specific skill. It might be slowing down, deepening your voice, breathing. The next day, you might focus on your energy levels. The third day, you might focus on something else but it's a great way to get a lot of practice for public speaking and expressing yourself with your voice and for me it's been the best thing that i have done to improve my speaking nick thank you very much for your time your book was what got me started in this career so i'm thankful to you and i'm thankful to have the time to have a conversation with the audience akash karia ladies and gentlemen uh thank you again uh really a wonderful a wonderful way to get to know you um, and, and and to learn more about your work. Akash Karia.